welcome back to Next Scene's Big Adventure, the podcast where we, we take on Pee-wee's Big Adventure about 10 minutes at a time. Uh, welcome back. Thank you for joining us for part four. We're running from about minute 30 to minute 40 in, in the film. Uh, we're going to cover uh, Pee-wee's encounter with Madame Ruby. We get a little bit of hitchhiking and then uh, picked up by Mickey and then uh, Pee-wee behind the wheel. A little bit of the P-dubs doing a bit of driving, and that wraps up uh, this section. And uh, joining me joining me today for, for part four is a very special guest, um, all the way from the Apocalypse Now Minutes and, and others. Um, it's Chris Frayne. Chris, thank you. Welcome for joining hey, us. Hey, thanks, Sean. Thanks, um, thanks for having me on. This is uh, one of my favorite movies of all time, and I love talking about it. And it is definitely my favorite non-heavy movie you know not serious or whatever so yeah I, I i can't wait to talk about this yeah i mean you've 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 covered talk about heavy movies apocalypse now that's a that's a heavy one um yeah and, and we also made the decision to not stick to the strict movie by minute format on that one mm -hmm. Uh, we right, did not, yeah. we'd still be, we'd still be taping episodes now if we did. still be so, talking about it. Yeah. 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 So I'm used to, that. yeah, definitely a much, uh, a much different flavor when you're talking about the behind the scenes stuff and, and kind of commentary from, um, I don't know if you had a lot of, com oh, there's some commentary from the director, but a lot of commentary from uh, his wife and, and other people that were on the set, uh, during the filming of apocalypse now. And it's, uh, a very great contrast to yeah. um, Paul Rubens and, and Tim Burton <laughs> and Danny Elfman talking about, <laughs> about yeah, their experience making this film. Yeah, as far as I know, uh, production wasn't delayed by a typhoon or no. uh, or Marlon Brando showing up uh, overweight or something. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. for Pee Wee. Yeah. yeah. Um, but so yeah, so so glad to hear that this is uh, a movie you enjoy talking about because uh, you've definitely come to the right place for that and. Uh, so I'm gonna I'm gonna get you talking right from the get go. I hope you're mm -hmm. warmed up, and I'll I'll start with um, the question I'm asking all my guests. What is your What is your experience with uh, Pee Wee's Big Adventure and uh, and Pee Wee Herman as a character? You know, did you see this in the in the theater? Did you know about Pee Wee before you saw it? What's What's your Pee Wee history? Sure. So I'm probably going to be the oldest guest that you will have on this show, um, and it's therefore... not a contest. It's not a contest, but I'm winning. Um, You're winning. And uh, I actually remember the Pee Wee Herman HBO special. Yeah, the Pee Wee Herman show. From 1981, I want to say. I think. Yeah. 80, 81. For some reason, my family had HBO for like a year back then. I was maybe, I guess I was nine. And, but I have older siblings. And I heard them talking about it. And I'm like, oh, I got to check this out. And I was a weird kid. I would stay up late to watch SNL starting when I was like seven. Mm -hmm. um, I would stay up late to watch uh, SCTV and things like that. And my yeah, parents were, yeah. were nice enough to indulge me on that. Uh, so I already had like a weird alt comedy bug a little bit, especially, <laughs> you know, the weirder it was and the more I didn't understand it it appealed to me. And yeah. so I remember watching the, the HBO special and I want to say either my mom or one of my sisters was in the room and they were kind of like 
there were times where I could tell I wasn't supposed to hear or understand. I wasn't supposed to. Things I shouldn't understand yeah. uh, were should, happening yeah. in the special, uh, you know, things that were a little edgy or, uh, you know, double entendre type stuff. And so I remember that and kind of filed that away of like, oh, that was kind of funny, but I had no idea what it was. And then fast forward to 1985. What, mm-hmm. by the way, what month did this come out? In. This came out in August. August. Okay. So that explains it. Because I've always wondered, why didn't I see this in the theater when it came out? I guarantee you, in August of 1985, I was doing two-a-day football practices oh, okay. for my high school JV football team. Those are exhausting. And, you know, you're, you're out in 95-degree heat for basically six hours a day exerting yourself and this would have been the first time this would have been my freshman year so like i really was not used to that level of of activity and so yeah i probably i i remember just coming home and going to sleep for 10 hours getting up and doing it again so if this had a two or three week run in the theater i didn't see it i may have known about it but i've always wondered why didn't i see that in the theater Um, but i did see it on cable Gosh, probably two or three years afterwards. And I remember the moment that hooked me. And that is when later on, we'll, we'll get to this in a few months, I guess, on your show, when Twisted Sister yeah. are, are going down the street and they're singing the song and the lyrics are, you're going to burn in hell. And then yeah. it, it's juxtaposing that to <laughs> Pee Wee Herman riding his bike, you know, and with that goofy grin on his face. I was like, I just knew this is... That's my sensibility, those like goofy juxtapositions, you know. And so I I became a big fan of it after that. Uh, I'm pretty sure I had it on VHS, probably taped off of TV and then on DVD. I think I've owned this in three different formats now. Mm. Yeah. And here's the weird thing, though, because of my age, I did not get into Pee Wee's Playhouse. Right. Okay. Yeah. Because it's a different, not only is it, aimed at younger viewers but it's a different version of peewee and it's and it doesn't have peewee's playhouse i mean i did watch a few episodes when it when it was on mm-hmm. and i remember you know i i didn't think in these terms but you know i'm, I'm thinking about it now there is an entire curated reality to peewee's playhouse right and and actually right. the first two parts of the movie that you covered are basically that that like that perfect world of Pee-wee that he lives in. And then the the adventure is he has to go out into the rest of the normal world. Right. He, now, he granted, comes into our real world. He comes into our real world. Now granted, it's still oddly enough, still stuck in the early sixties and and he <laughs> and he, he has an incredible batting average for winning over people in the real world that you wouldn't have. Yes. Uh, yeah. that I don't experience. Um but um where was I going thought? Oh yeah. So it's a different it's a different version of Pee Wee and the and the universe that he inhabits in Pee Wee's Playhouse than um than this movie. And so because I was such a fan of the movie, I'm like, I feel like I'm getting a watered down version or, you know, a softer edge version. Now mm-hmm. I have come to appreciate Pee Wee's Playhouse on its own because I'm not actively comparing it. So 
But but yeah, yeah this so, is my favorite iteration. And and I think it's interesting that the character really does change from project to project. Um, going back to yeah. that HBO special, yeah. the voice is different. It's a much higher pitched voice. He's really trying to sell this as being like, I'm not just a possible man child. I really am like a seven-year-old boy, <laughs> you know? Like, yeah. make no mistake, even though you see someone who's five feet, eight inches tall, I am a seven-year-old boy. Whereas in, I think part of the joke in, in Pee-wee's Big Adventure, it's like, who is he really? Is he a man pretending yeah. to be a boy? Is he, <laughs> like, what's going on? Is he a boyish man? Is he a mannish boy? It's, right, that, right. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm I'm of a similar age. And similar experience in terms of my exposure to Pee-wee. And yeah, so I, um, yeah, I didn't watch Playhouse when it was on. I, I've since, you know, I've been, I've been watching it recently. Uh, only recently did I, did I start watching it and I, I can kind of appreciate it and, and enjoy it. But uh, yeah, whereas like that original, that original HBO special and the original Pee-wee Herman show was sort of a parody of children's shows. And I think right. yeah, in, in that, the, it seems like the character is actually a boy. It's just, you know, we're going to, you know, we're going to have an adult actor play it, but like the, the characters in that, um, you know, Pee Wee, Hammy and some of the others, like they're actual children um, just played by adults. But whereas, yeah, when we get to Pee Wee's big adventure, I think he is, um, he, he is an adult. He's just a boyish, you know, uh, you know, a, a boyish man. He lives in were. his own, his own house. Yeah. yeah, we don't know what he does for a living, but he he has his house, Somehow, he has yeah, his he own stuff. Yeah, um, and yeah, and then whereas like that that you know whereas the Pee Wee Herman show was sort of a parody of children's shows, then he goes ahead and makes Playhouse, which is which is a, a sincere a sincere you know, is a children's show, show. yeah, an, an excellent one show. at that, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Um, and then in the other movie, and then I think I think that kind of carries forward um, with the other the other films the. Um, Big Top and, and Pee-wee's Big Holiday in terms of the evolution of the character is always, you know, Pee-wee grows and changes and he's a little bit different mm -hmm. each time. And, yeah. you know, although maybe I think your... that the holiday movie, um, what's it called again? Is it Pee-wee's Big Holiday? Yeah, right? Pee-wee's Big Holiday. I think that's probably the closest we get to a return to the big adventure iteration of the character. Mm -hmm in tone but yeah I, I don't know i remember yeah. really liking that one and not i i think i watched i attempted to watch big top peewee twice <laughs> <laughs> got through it once and i think the very first time i tried i couldn't even get through it so yeah i think i think once and even none is yeah. probably okay uh, <laughs> like yeah i, I kind of feel the same way about uh, big top uh, not probably my my least favorite iteration of the uh, of the Pee Wee Herman character. Um, now, are you more generally are you a fan of Paul Rubens? Do you have like a favorite um, kind of non Pee Wee performance or anything you'd want to call out that you particularly the, enjoy? Yeah, the only thing I can think of, and it's such a brief cameo. I mean, he, they really don't give him room to do anything, but it's one of those jump up and go, "Oh my God, it's Pee Wee." Yeah. Um, it's uh, when he's a waiter in the Blues Brothers. Oh, yeah. Famously in that scene 
where they go in, they're trying to get, oh, I forget it, Murph or, you know, no, it was Blue Lou. They're trying to get one of the one of the band members. Oh no, to it was come uh, Mr. Fabulous. Was Mr. Uh, Fabulous? That's Mr. It. Fabulous was a maitre d' at some fancy That's restaurant. Right. They're trying to That's get him right. from the band. They're trying to get him back, and so they're just like, "We're going to cause a scene here in the restaurant until you agree <laughs> to yeah. get back in the band." And of course, you know, uh, Paul Rubens is is uh, you know uptight waiter having to deal with them making a scene. <laughs> um, it's great, but yeah, I I I don't. I hate to say it, I'm not really that familiar with some of his other work. And it's funny because, well, not funny, actually the exact opposite. Um, when he passed away uh, in August, was that in August? Um, yeah, I think so. Yeah, it was I'm, over the I'm summer. someone who I, I don't really react to celebrity deaths, you know, and I really felt that one. I moped around all day that day my wife could tell she's like wow this really upset you and i'm like i don't even know any of the other movies he was in you know but for some reason it's just the idea that there will never be like this is the end of there ever even where there could be another you know peewee movie or or project or anything you know this is it and yeah it really really made me sad but um yeah i i know he's in some like cheech and chong movie yeah um i think he's in the the buffy movie from from the early 90s oh i think yeah, he, Buffy's he's a, the, yeah yeah well he did like yeah so uh just speaking of like the the cheech and chong stuff so yeah early on he's got um a, a, like a bunch of little things like the waiter in blues brothers like just right. small parts blink if you miss it but like he you know he brings it for what little you know little screen time he gets he's got like a handful of those um, early on before he kind of broke out to, uh, um, you know, Paul Rubens has before he kind of broke out with, with the Pee Wee character. And sure. then, uh, yeah, the Buffy, the vampire slayer where he like, he, he steals the movie. I re you know, after he passed, um, yeah. I had, I probably hadn't seen that film in 20 or 30 years. And then I, um, went back and watched it and kind of forgot, like, I thought, I thought he had a bigger part just because it's so memorable. And then I watch right, it. I'm like, right. no, this is like a little bit part, but he makes the most of it. And then and we, we, we've talked about Buffy before on the show, but I don't know if we mentioned um, what we do in the shadows. When he comes back, they had an episode. Um, I forget if it was which season it was, but they have an episode where there's like a meeting of the vampire council and it's all these movie vampires. It's like, um, you know, I, like the original, you know, the the vampires from the What We Do in the Shadows film that they have in the TV show, but then, uh, yeah, Paul's there, kind of playing his uh, his uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer character, or it's kind of well, no, actually, he's playing himself. It's it's kind of like the setup is all the actors who play vampires are all really vampires, so they're there as themselves. They're not playing their vampire characters, right. um, but yeah, so yeah, he really, um, um, so that's great. So that's you have a good a good background in uh in in Paul Rubin and Pee Wee so we can we can talk about this film and so let's uh let's actually talk a little bit about the movie so we start off with um so Pee Wee um you know he has just left his basement where he's been trying to go over all the evidence with uh with Dottie and all his friends and they've kind of got tired and they don't see where it's going so now he is wandering uh, the streets he's kind of wandered over to the bad part of town it's raining he's accosted by um, a group of thugs and i want to mention that because we get a little uh director cameo speaking this of is, cameos yeah yeah 
Speaking of uh, cameos, so this is director Tim Burton, um, you know, who's got who's got the line like, uh, you know, we don't take kindly to strangers coming around here. <laughs> In the screenplay, which I looked up, yeah, it refers to them as like a street gang. And I'm like, yeah. that's the least threatening street gang <laughs> I've ever seen. I think it's interesting that the moment this is really the moment where he leaves the bubble and and the bubble being. I just call it Pasadena because I know that's where the Pee Wee house is, right? Mm -hmm. um, but he leaves the Southern California, the Pasadena, the Santa Monica, whatever it is. And the second he leaves, because he's determined no one's going to help me, no one in my bubble is going to help me with this. I'm going to have yeah. to do this on my own. The second he leaves that bubble, he is now in what is coded as being like either New York or Chicago. Like... <laughs> It's not even, <laughs> it's not even LA. Like it's, it's, he's it, like the idea of like the archetype of city mm -hmm. is, is the, is this, which, you know, oddly enough is sort of like, I'm, I, I guarantee you, or I shouldn't guarantee. I bet that this is the same lot that Blade Runner was filmed at, <laughs> you know, which isn't, which is supposed which, to be Los Angeles in yeah. the far future of 2019. Um, but yeah, it's it. I just love that his first step outside the bubble. It is raining cats and dogs, and he's in the Bronx or something. Yeah, yeah, because they they make no effort to hide, um, whether it's Pasadena or Santa Monica or the other, um, you know, Burbank with this movie studio and the other locations around right. Southern California, around the kind of the greater LA area where this is filmed. Like again, there's no attempt to hide where they are filming until this scene, and suddenly it's. Um, it's like Skid Row. This is like right. This is like from the you know the beginning of Little Shop of Horrors here, which uh, actually is in L.A. So eh, yeah, eh, maybe that works. So maybe that works. Except for the rain, I guess it does rain. Like you know, rain does happen in L.A. Um, and I, it was um, now. I again, I bet this is just the you know effects rain where they they have the pipes above the street. Mm -hmm. It, I want to say based on I, based on my experience in Southern California, this whole movie looks like it was filmed in February, because of how green. If you look at any scene where there are hills mm -hmm. in the background, it's actually quite green for Southern California, and it and just like there's some scenes where you can see a little bit of uh, you can see their breath a little bit, mm -hmm. and I know that the screenplay was dated January of 85 so i'm thinking unless you know otherwise is what do you know when the like a majority of the principal photography happened i don't know i haven't been yeah. able to find uh yeah dates for the the shooting schedule um but the last version the latest revision of the script i could find which is pretty close to what we see on screen is from march um, oh okay. like we said earlier it comes out in august so um okay yeah yeah so sometime okay. in, in in that time frame. So yeah, sometime around. Um, I'm guessing, and, and and you know, I don't know. Sometimes you know, revisions continue to happen as as shooting happens. So uh, um, you know, so, so some of these scenes may have been shot before the yeah. you know, the script was finished. But anyway, so yeah, but, but some yeah, somewhere February, season. March, April. You yeah. know, probably yeah, the, you know, spring of of '85 would, would be yeah. when it was filmed. And that that's when LA gets rained on. You know, for for a couple of weeks and then that's it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Um, so yeah, so this this gang is not too is not as threatening as Pee Wee is. So in his <laughs> mood, he hisses and uh and they scatter like rats. Oh, and I love the brilliant thing they do with the shadow, his shadow. Oh yeah. Right before yeah. it. And it's sort of a, a callback to uh sort of German German expressionist filmmaking um like Murnau or Fritz Lang or somebody like the cabinet of Dr. Calgary um, where you just see the like big looming shadows and then it's actually just a small person you know casting these these huge shadows yeah to to great effect yeah this giant monster of a shadow and then we see oh it's just it's just our little old peewee so yeah so the gang scatters and then he um he, you know, he sees a sign, a sign in the night, a neon sign saying Madam Ruby's tarot cards, palms red, income tax. <laughs> so you got to, you know, the, this is a full service establishment. Yeah, this is the last stop for desperate people to, who are going to get ripped off. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, quick little difference. I mentioned the script. So difference between the, the version of the script I have from March and well, we, the, the script says he rings the bell. Um, but in the film, he knocks on the door. So minor difference there, but otherwise it's kind of um, everything comes up as written. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, Pee Wee knocks, she opens up cash only, no cards, no checks. Um, so Pee Wee has cash. Always a good sign. In. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> always you want to do business with someone who doesn't want to leave a paper trail. That's always good. Yeah. Always good. Always good. Do you have, uh, have you ever been to a psychic? Have you ever oh, done a reading? Oh my gosh. No, no. And I, and in fact, when I saw this, when I was rewatching this, it made me think of there was a a psychic in Albuquerque where I lived for a long time named Psychic Anna, <laughs> which I don't know why I thought that was funny. Like just to have this very like pedestrian name and then psychic in front, like yeah. Psychic Greg, you know. Um, yeah, but Psychic Anna and I and you could see it from like the interstate. <laughs> when you drove through Albuquerque and I'm like, okay, what's it going to take for me to go in there? What's going to have to happen where I'm at the point where I'm going to go see Psychic Anna? And then, yeah, but I've never, I've never done this. Yeah. Um, it'd be I, fun. It'd be fun if like you were on like a, I don't know, if you went to a carnival or something and somebody else paid for it. <laughs> <laughs> That's the key. If somebody else paid yeah, for it. I'm not going to pay for this, but, but it'd be fun to do. Yeah, I, I've actually I've, I've done it twice. Well, once I've done it once in person, I went to an actual um, kind of reader like like this. And then one time I called one of those 900 numbers. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, yeah. and both were with a, a girlfriend, but different girlfriends. So I think the first time we were like waiting and it was like the least like spiritual spooky or you know enlightened setting and to you know figure if you're gonna you know, office really, park in yeah, yeah it, it was in yeah it was in like a suburban strip mall i think we were <laughs> waiting for a table at like an outback or something right. and it was a long wait for dinner and we're like what are we gonna do oh next you know next door to the restaurant is uh, you know, is a psychic as if yeah you're really gonna you know commune with the great beyond in a in a suburban strip mall but uh um yeah so i did and that was like early 20s with a girlfriend and then um, in like the nineties with, um, with a different girlfriend, who's now my wife, we were like, again, just as a lark, not thinking it's serious. Uh, you know, we called up a, a 900 psychic number, but they like both readings. And I don't know if this means anything. Maybe it's like, maybe there's a commonality there that, that, that means something, but both times the, the woman I was with the girlfriend 
got uh, like a, I'll say quote unquote specific reading. And obviously this is, they all speak in generalities. They don't get specific because they kind of like give you just enough that you can, um, you know, kind of fill in the blanks yourself and, and make it feel like it's specific. But they said things like, um, you know, uh, you know, you're, you're, you know, keep working. You're going to, you know, work is going well. You're going <laughs> to get a promotion. Um, you know, good things are going to happen. You're going to have good luck and, and kind of like semi-specific, you know, as specific as they can get without um, right. digging too much. Cause this, you know, we never went back. This was a single reading. So it wasn't like the, the, the psychic had a chance to like kind of build up a, a book on a book on us. But uh, so like both my girlfriends, both instances got something that was, you know, kind of quote unquote specific. And then, um, then my readings were like, garbage i got nothing and I, I i don't remember too much about the one in person because that was many many years ago but i remember the one with my now wife um and the psychic was like yeah sometimes you know some good things are going to happen and some bad things <laughs> and sometimes work is good and sometimes work is bad i'm like what I, i'm paying like four dollars a minute for that right this <laughs> like is on the phone yeah yeah for you know, even for entertainment purposes, right. I was not entertained. I I got very disappointing readings. But <laughs> you know, but these are like you know, in person versus the phone, and separated by decades. The only common, the only commonality between the two things was me. So I don't know. Maybe I'm just not a good subject for uh, for that kind of. What was it, Miss Cleo? I suddenly remembered oh, yeah. that there was a Miss Cleo who was. That a, rings, I, I don't know if I don't think it was Miss Cleo that we called, but that rings a bell. Yeah, uh, that was yeah one of the services. Yeah, Miss Cleo. But uh, yeah, so anyway, so uh, so Pee Wee pops in. Um, he's got some cash. Which um, so Madam Ruby says for twenty dollars I can tell you a lot of things. For thirty dollars I can tell you more. For fifty I tell you everything. And uh, Pee Wee, you know, well first we see Pee Wee is someone who keeps his all his money in his wallet, bills and change and change weird and change. Yeah. And he dumps it all out. He just, he wants to know what she's got to hear. And it looks like he has like 375. Like, it's... yeah, yeah. I, I, I got at most 578. So I, 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 I think there are five distinct bills. I'm assuming they're all ones. Right. And it looks like there's three, I could see three quarters and three pennies. And then maybe like maybe a couple coins that kind of roll out of view um, that I, that I couldn't see on the table, but it's, it's not 50 bucks unless unless some of those bills are are big ones. It's not a lot of money, but it's enough because he, he gets his reading. And uh, so well, Madam Ruby grabs his wallet. So she's, you know, she's doing a cold reading. She starts off with um, you're here because you want something, which is yeah, everybody wants something. Right. You know? No, I'm here because I want nothing like that. You know, that's that's, you know, kind of part of the, uh, you know, the, the gig. You're uh, here because there's a long wait for a table at <laughs> yeah. the Cheesecake Factory. Yeah. Right, exactly, exactly. But, you know, they, they keep it general. But uh, uh, she managed to snag his wallet out of his hand. And so, of course, he's got lots of pictures of himself in the X1. So she knows, um, you know, it's, you know, you hear about a bicycle. And then he asks, where is it? So now she knows, um, oh, he's looking for the bicycle. And she, um, you know, she Kaiser Soze's him. Exactly. She, uh, That's exactly she, what I wrote. That's a good <laughs> in my notes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Years before we knew Kaiser Soze was a thing, <laughs> but uh, yeah. So she looks around and she kind of picks up. She sees Alan Moe's discount warehouse that she uh, t- 
turns into the Alamo. Right. And then she sees bargain basement prices. And so she'll say it's in the basement. Now, um, that wall yeah. has always been there in front of her. Yes. <laughs> and I'm going to assume she's been doing this in that location for at least, let's call it three years. Mm-hmm. She's so invested every, in neon. You know, so every, so. yeah, there you go. Yeah, that's a, that's an indicator. So yeah. every day she's trying to work in the idea of Alamo and basement into every psychic reading she's doing. Like if that's the only thing that she has pretty much in, in eye shot, uh, or, you know. This picture yeah. of somebody else coming in, yeah. and she's like, "Oh, you know, uh, it'd be funny if if Pee Wee ran into like ten other people at the Alamo who were all there because <laughs> because of, of Madame Ruby, because of Madame Ruby." Yeah, that's yeah. So I, that's funny because I didn't um, I didn't get so far as to assume that he would run into a lot of other people, but I made the same note that she must give a lot of similar readings. Just having the same, you know, the, the same building across the street from her, the same view outside her window. Um, maybe the, you know, the next person that comes in is, oh, you're seeking, you're seeking pie a la mode. <laughs> oh, there you go. Like yeah. she just kind of, yeah, yeah. She can't say, I, I'm hoping she doesn't send everyone to the Alamo, but maybe. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, every time you're looking for something, Madame Ruby, it's it's always in the basement. <laughs> maybe that's her thing. Uh but uh, yeah, so she's going to point Pee-wee towards the uh, the basement of the Alamo. And uh, so, you know, anything else on Madame Ruby before we get out on the, uh, the open well, road? If you if you Google Madame Ruby, the first uh, hit that you get, and it's it's interesting. Apparently, this location was copied and used. I, I know nothing about World of Warcraft. But apparently it is a location in World of Warcraft. Oh. Like the Madame Ruby. Because when I when I Googled this, I was like, what is this? And they actually have like a character named Ma- Madame Ruby. Because when I went to try to find who is this actress that we're mm-hmm. seeing, I ended up with a voice <laughs> actress from the video game. And I'm like, no, I don't think so. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's a location in World of Warcraft. Yeah, I think that's yeah. very strange. Um, huh. Erica Yan is yeah, the yeah. Like we, we, I should, we yeah, have. sorry, we should say something about uh, about the actress. Yeah, about Erica. And all right, go I ahead. Thought, yeah. I thought it was funny that she, uh, in the same year as this movie, uh, portrayed someone named Madame Loretta on an episode right. of Night Court. Yeah, a Night Court. <laughs> um, did not yeah, did not cast. seem to get typecast. So not not why I know I, we we've talked about like uh, like some of the bikers. You know when we get to the Satan helpers, like some of those guys have got you know you look in their IMDb and there's you know twenty different times they've played like a biker or gangster or you know something like that. And then um, I see like a lot of cops. You know you see people got to get typecast. You look at their IMDb and they're like cop, police, sergeant, right? Um, you know a bunch of those roles. But yeah, it seemed like uh, Night Court and this I think are only. Um, or only kind of psychic, uh, mystic, right. mystic roles. Yeah. So, so Erica Yan got her start on Broadway, um, and a few things. Um, and Lenny was um, the the show that the kind of the bio, the bio. I don't know if there's like a, a like not a biopic because it was a play. I don't think she, she wasn't in the film Lenny, but uh, uh, you know on the the stage play biography of Lenny Bruce um, mm-hmm. played Lenny's mother. Um, also did a you know cabaret, a couple other shows early film role she was a governess in godfather 2 
And then oh, um, okay. uh, a couple other things that, that kind of jumped out at me is um, uh, in American Tale from 1986, and then the, the sequels, Five Oak Goes West in 91, and, and Treasure, of Manhattan, Treasure of Manhattan Island in 98, um, she's the voice of Mama Mouskowitz. There you go. So yeah, I'm not really familiar with those films, so it didn't. I, I, <laughs> exactly. I, I, I don't recognize the voice, but I thought, okay, you know, so she's Mama Mousewitz. That's nice. Um, another thing that uh, that was one of those things where, like, I didn't, I didn't make the connection, but as soon as I read it, I could picture it in my head, and I'm like, oh, of course, from uh, Amazon Women on the Moon in 1987, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. she's Selma. She's uh, she's Murray's wife. Murray's the guy with the magical remote control that ends up he gets, you know, kind of caught in the TV and he mm-hmm. starts showing up inside the shows um, and he's calling out to Selma. Um, and that's uh, so, yeah, she is. Uh, yeah. Selma from uh, American Women on the Moon. I uh, thought that was interesting. Um, so, yeah, that's Eric Yan. Actually, you know, quite a, a bit of a career. Did a bunch of different yeah. stuff, um, both before and after the uh, the Wee thing. And, uh I think she's she's good in here. She's she's nice and spooky and spiritual and um, gives us a, a nice nice touch. And yet, obviously, also the joke being that she she gives off that vibe, but she's actually quite incompetent, you know. And again, oh, yeah. it's a, it's that juxtaposition. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, she's she's a complete of people hack performing and a one vibe. And, you know, and, she's, yeah. Um, yeah. She's a ripoff artist. She's scamming poor Pee Wee here. She holds on. You know, she allows him to run off without his. Uh, Without his wallet, his wallet. Which will become uh, significant later, you know. Yep. Um, so yeah. So, uh, but uh, she's gonna send P. Dubs off on uh, the way to the Alamo, and so we cut to uh, um, in true Pee Wee style. He's got the the hobo bindle. He's got you know his yep. worldly possessions tied up in a, a kerchief tied on the end of a stick. Is it and, a polka uh, dots too? Like it's yeah, a polka dot yeah, kind of white yeah. with red polka dots. Yeah. Um, as he's hitchhiking to, uh, you know, Texas or bust. Um, yeah. And it was interesting. So something I picked out, you, you mentioned earlier, kind of the, um, the time frame, like the movie feels like, I think you said you, you kind of felt like, feels like the sixties. It, this whole, yeah, this whole universe, other than like the BMX bikers mm-hmm. and a few other folks that we run into, yeah, I would I would lump the the biker gang into this as well. But most of Pee Wee's world seems to happen. If I had to put a demarcation point on it, pre Kennedy assassination, like pre nineteen sixty three, and and just I I don't know if this was something that he and Tim Burton talked about or if it was a if it was a conscious decision or just something out of their out of their subconscious that like the art direction that the choice of in this case in this scene the cars that go by i think you see one you have to look really hard but there's like one relatively modern like 80s like k car kind of thing going down but most of the cars are either from the 40s or 50s or 60s maybe early 70s yeah there are some 70s there's a lot of old cars but That's interesting. I never, I never thought about it like that. Is this is kind of the innocence of Pee Wee? Yeah, a callback to sort of that innocence in America. Yes, yeah. Before the yeah. Kennedy assassination, um, back to the, you know the the fifties, that simpler time. And I and I think like going back to that HBO special, that was hap- that in the early eighties there was definitely a visual motif 
of trying to invoke a late 50s early 60s mm-hmm. look to things yeah well and definitely with things like yeah like the the late 70s you know with things like happy days in greece there right. was definitely a callback to you know like the 50s were big in the 70s right but um, also like if you think of it towards the end of the 70s and into the 80s you also have like think about like what elvis costello looked like then yeah mm-hmm. like he he literally made himself look like buddy holly you right. know, and that was right. like that sort of like skinny tie, like real like like um not tight, but like um close cut like yeah outfits. Close and cut, stuff. narrow lapel, narrow tie, right. short hair, you know. And it was it was but it had like a edginess to it. It was like, yeah, yeah we're invoking the late 50s early 60s but we have like a kind of sneering sense of irony about it mm-hmm. whereas like happy days and sha na na back in the 70s was more like a, a just an unbridled sincere joy about it this was more of like a like a little bit of like yeah we thought that was a, a you know a good time but it, it you know we were also there were there was also a lot of um interest in basically how the arms race was developing at, mm-hmm. in the late 70s and it's sort of recalling when there was an arms race in the in the late 50s early 60s with the soviet union it seemed like a replay you know of that and i think that original peewee special really brought that out like it was boomers looking back on their childhood yeah, yeah. and going wow we've been through a lot already and we're only in our 30 like early 30s and yet the world that we grew up in in the 50s and and early 60s is like it's It's funny because it's so different yeah yeah and i'm just trying to imagine like that was for them that was only 20 years removed right right it'd be like imagine creating a character and, and it's a retro character to your childhood and it's from the year 2002 or something <laughs> like would it be that different or weird like i don't but then again i'm, I'm the wrong person to ask because i feel like everything stopped the only thing that really has become different in 20 years is that our tvs became flat you know that i think that's a much bigger subject that's kind of for a separate yeah for sure podcast I because i've been wondering like that because i think because like in my mind i can picture like if you gave me a decade, I could give you an outfit that I think is stereotypical. Or if right. you showed me an outfit, I could pick the decade from 1920s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, maybe even 90s. But then I'm like, right. after that, what's the difference if you just show me like a man and a woman typical outfit? Could I pick out, you know, 2000s versus the 2010s versus the 2020s? Right. And then I'm like, okay, is that is that is that real is that something that's happened just you know fashion isn't changing or is it just i got old and i'm no. not seeing the changes whereas like you know someone who's 30 now someone who grew you know who grew up over the past 20 years would be able to look at someone and instantly say oh no this is you know that's a 2003 outfit that's 2013 this is 2023 they're all completely different right you know is that it is is the way and certainly things are changing but it's it's kind of like what social media are you you know 
is it TikTok? Is it Facebook? Is it my friends? Like that's the way I would tell kind of the right. different decades now versus, you know, where the cuffs on your pants, are they pleated or not, or, or, you know, and so forth, or how wide are your lapels? I don't know if, you know, how much has that changed in the last 20 years? You know, right. maybe it has, and I just haven't been paying attention anymore. Yeah. I swear I could tell if you showed me a picture of <laughs> a, a random picture of anyone in like music or film or whatever from the 80s i could tell you the exact year yeah, yeah. just from the clothes and, and hair right. but beyond uh, that like i have no yeah. idea <laughs> um, but so anyway so so getting back to the film yeah, i sorry. mentioned that at this particular point because again in terms of the um in terms of the scenery there's no effort made to hide it so this was filmed this was actually filmed around cal arts um in that oh, area okay. of southern yeah. california where both uh, or actually all of them where um where Paul and Tim and Danny all you know attended school at various times so it's mm -hmm. in kind of that area but the vehicles we see roll by there's a 65 Volvo there's a you know a 65 Ford Econoline van a you know a, a 1950 Plymouth there's you know some some of the newer ones kind of quote unquote newer are uh, you know a, a 74 uh, <laughs> VW Bug and right. a 72 M M Mercury Montenegro or Montenegro. Sure. Um, so I mean even like the the kind of more recent vehicles that we see are over 10 years old um, right. at this point. And then the 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 car that Pee Wee actually gets in the 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 guy that you know the, the car that actually stops to pick him up is a 1959 Etzel Corsair. Uh, convertible coupe so yeah so kind of giving that feeling of yeah what you know what year is this what time is it because like you said yeah that and i <laughs> i was wondering if you're looking over my shoulder because i have a lot of the same notes in terms of like yeah like the the bmx that's very contemporary that's 1985 with the bikes that they're riding and kind of right. their the little the, body the, armor that they have on and everything. yeah the, the yeah. way they're dressed like everything yeah. in, in chuck's bike o-rama is solidly that that's 1985 oh, you yeah. know that's that's definitely true to the period and suddenly peewee steps out and he's um you know he's he's a decade at least back in time with you know all the old cars that we see driving by yeah this movie every scene is sort of shaking you sort of, sort of spinning you around and going guess guess where you are when you are and you really don't know yeah yeah it's yeah. it's a, a little bit out of time like so you yeah. know there are certain moments where you're like okay this this feels of a particular place in time but don't mm -hmm. get used to it because the next scene is going to be a, you know a different world a different place and a, right. you know, a different decade we're, we're going to keep jumping around well just the fact that he's hitchhiking i think the <laughs> last the last hitchhiker i'm aware of ever seeing was in 1978 you know what i mean like it was something that just wasn't done after um, the seventies. So it, even just what he's doing is is an anachronism, you know, it's sort of a fantasy. Yeah, I also want to talk about the the music in in this part. Um, so the yeah, this section of the film, the Danny Elfman's commentary track is is very sparse, which is nice to kind of just watch the film with just the the score going on in the background. Although for much of the car ride, there's there isn't any music in the no, background. So we don't get any good music. Really. Um, but yeah, for this particular section, so Danny talks about uh, this this kind of hitchhiking theme is uh, <laughs> um, one of his favorites. It's up there with the the breakfast machine theme in in, in that opening sequence. But uh, he really liked this, and he mentioned the the harmonica 
uh, the, you know, the harmonica part, he had he had just written, like not playing the harmonica, just writing it out. And, and he thought it was very difficult. And he thought, um, you know, he expected there's going to be multiple takes. He even mentioned he thought that they might need multiple players to kind of, you know, multiple people playing harmonica in, in tandem to get this part going. And uh, they bring in this guy, Tommy Morgan, who's just like, um, I guess if you needed harmonica playing, um, he was the guy. They bring him in, they roll tape, one take. He just like hits it right off the bat. And I, I couldn't hear it. I don't really have an ear for harmonica, but but Danny's saying he's got like multiple harmonicas. He's switching on the fly. Oh, um, wow. Between okay. different instruments. And he just yeah. like, you know, uh, you know, the, the, these session musicians are, um, yeah. you know, they're, they're so much better, uh, you know, for the most part, they're better than the people that you hear of because um, they just, you know, they have to walk in, they're given um, you know, sometimes they're given sheet music, uh, you know, some professional musicians don't or a vague you know, idea, you know, <laughs> you know, would just have a vague idea like, Hey, can you give me something like this? But, uh, yeah, he just, he just rolled in and, and did it. And I, I looked up, uh, the name is Tommy Morgan and the, the guy has got like hundreds of credits, like in terms, like mm -hmm. over a hundred credits for harmonica going back to, you know, things like, uh, you know, cool hand Luke and the Cincinnati oh, wow. kid, okay. uh, you know, you know, playing harmonica, um, you know, for those things. And a lot of these are uncredited and he's actually uncredited. Not only is he uncredited, um, you know, he's not in the credits for this film. Um, he's not listed on IMDb. He's not even in there as uncredited, hmm. but Danny Elfman specifically names him on, um, you know, in, in, in his commentary track. But yeah, I mean, he's, if, if you heard harmonica in like the past 50 years in a film, mm -hmm. I mean, he was in, uh, you know, blazing saddles, um, mm -hmm. He did the the theme. Uh, Sanford and Son played the harmonica for the. Oh, theme okay, there. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. Un uncredited musician on the Muppet movie from 1979. Um, just, just a, a you know a ton of stuff. Just the, you know. Do you and, know? And the do you know if he did harmonica in um, Once Upon a Time in the West? Because that famously has this eerie. The main theme is this very eerie harmonica. And the, the character's name in it is, they just call him Harmonica, yeah. uh, the Charles Bronson character, if I'm remembering all this correctly. I don't, no. I don't know if you have that in front of you. Yeah, right? no, that that's not coming up in IMDb. Okay. Um, yeah, he did he did play in something in uh, Mickey's Once Upon a Christmas um, from <laughs> 1999, was the Harmonica soloist in that. There you go. Um, Man, the path um, not taken. I should have, I should have. Yeah. Like started playing harmonica when I was like five years old. Could have played harmonica. It's probably one of those things. It's like uh, you know bassoon or something. Just in terms of like if you can you can kind of right. corner that market. There's not a lot of people that do that really well. Or being like a punter, you know, you just yeah. you just, just a, you know the specialist. do one yeah. thing really well and then just make a living off it, and you barely, I mean, for real, you don't have to work that many days of the year, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So IMDB has, uh, you know, kind of his movie and, and television appearances and, and, or kind of, you know, the, the things that he played for. Um, and then his Wikipedia article have his, uh, like, you know, his album. So he played with a lot of, he's on a lot of albums with a lot of musicians, you know, he did, he played with, um, you know, the, going back to the Carpenters and Olivia Newton, John, and Melissa Manchester and Dolly Parton. He's on a, you know, the, there's a Linda Ronstadt album there. There's uh Brian Wilson. I guess it, yeah. apparently he was in like the, the smile sessions. Oh, okay. He played, yeah. uh, you know, uh, you know, some of that with, um, 
with Brian Wilson. He's played with James Taylor and Barbara Streisand and, and you know, just a, a you know a bunch of other people. Like so uh yeah, this is uh I guess I probably the you know, someone at the studio probably called that in where you know Danny Elfman just said, Hey, I you know, I need a harmonica for this part. And um, you know, someone at the studio says, you know, wait, we you know, we got a guy, one of those kind of things. And um it turns out to be the guy. Yeah. And it turned out to be, yeah, the guy. So yeah, Danny, that was like the one kind of the, the really the the only uh the only comment from this section of the film from Danny was like, yeah, he was really impressed. Like, yeah, we, you know, they, they brought this guy in and boom, one take. And uh, yeah, yeah, he hit it. And, uh, and yeah, this is really, it's, it's a really fun, jaunty little, you know, on the road, let's go. We're, we're, you know, moving down the road kind of, kind of theme with, uh, with, yeah, the, the great harmonica, great harmonica work. So, yeah. So we mentioned the, the Etzel that stops and, and, and picks up Peewee. And the Etzel is driven by uh, Mickey, played by uh, Judd Oman, who um, has got a few credits, not not a huge things, not a, not a lot of other things that I'd recognized him in. Well, um, I reckon I, okay, oh, well, you? first of all, for about 25 years, I just didn't think about who this was at all and assumed it was, do you know? Who do you think I assume this person was, this actor? He, he does look, I can't think of the name. He does look like someone. Jimmy Smits. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He's got, I a always assumed Jimmy this Smith's was five. Jimmy Smits. And, um, but Maybe it's an not, older brother. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's not Jimmy Smits or but space no, Jimmy Smits for that matter. Um, but, uh, yeah, Judd Omen. Um, but no, he is familiar looking if you're my age or, or older. He was in, he was char- a character you know, like for an episode actor, you know, mm-hmm. what would they, what would you call that? Uh, uh, um, guest star or whatever. Yeah. Um, in every eighties police procedural or PI, I mean, he, he basically did the circuit of the, um, yeah, all like, the different, you know, he's, he was in like, a, you know, three, well, three different episodes of the A-team playing a different character right. each time. But like, right. he's in the fall, the fall guy and Hardcastle right. and McCormick. That's and it. Scarecrow yeah. and Mrs. King. And there yeah, you go. Just, and uh, you know, one episode of Matlock. And... Yeah, Matlock. Yeah. The only one he didn't do, I, I really, it got to the point where I'm like, what didn't he do? He wasn't on an episode of Riptide. And I'm like, <laughs> if he was on Riptide, that, that would be, yeah. he would have hit all of them. He would have right. hit for the cycle, as they would say. Um, yeah, yeah. But um, um, no, he I, he definitely looked familiar to me at the time. I assumed he was Jimmy Smith's. Um, but yeah, uh, did a lot of work. I mean, a lot of people in this movie are are they're TV actors. You oh know? yeah, yeah, yeah. We get a lot of those. We get a lot of yeah, a lot of the the, the actors that have come up are like, okay, yeah, this is someone who did. Um, yeah, it was like in you know every west you know a lot of the cowboys that we saw during the rodeo scene it was like okay this guy was in every western and you know in the fifties right. and sixties kind of thing and he um, was in sixty yeah, the, episodes of Gunsmoke and each episode he played a different guy <laughs> yep know, different yep, character yep. Yeah. Um, yeah so a, a couple of things that I pulled out and I kind of go back and and rewatch I didn't I didn't recognize I don't remember um, Judd from this but he was in Red Dawn and then uh, David Lynch's Dune both from nineteen eighty four. And those are two films that I've not seen in a while. So I'll have to go back and, and rewatch those. Uh, I've see if I rewatched the Lynch version of Dune and I can't place him. And my only guess is he might be one of the House Atreides like soldiers. 
that's my guess. Now he actually has yeah. a name, Jameis. So he's not, Jameis. you know, oh. he's not like, you know, palace guard number three or right. soldier, you know, he, he has an right. actual name, but I'm guessing he was just sort of in the background. I, I'm, yeah. my guess is it's not a huge part, but uh, yeah. yeah, I'll have to go back and rewatch and see if I can pick him out. And then I feel like I do remember him from red Dawn, but I haven't seen that in gosh, 35 years or something. Yeah. But yeah, they, I mean, I, I remember the premise of red Dawn being that there's, a Russian, you know, Soviet invasion, and they're being helped by, it's a fever dream. Um, they're being helped by, you know, Cubans and Nicaraguans and whatever, whatever other, you know, boogeyman we had at the time. And, uh, yeah. and I do, I do, his face, I can picture him in that movie. So, yeah. yeah. Um, so, so yeah. So, so Wee gets picked up by, uh, by Mickey here and, uh, you know, they get, you know, says, oh, let's listen to some music, turn on the radio. And of course, like the trope is as soon as you turn on the radio, like it's the right time and the right channel to instantly get, you know, the one important thing. Right. Um, expedition radio. Expedition we need. Yeah. yeah. Expedition radio. Um, well, what's about, even uh, funnier you know, is it's usually when they do this trope in a movie, it'll be like the end of a song. Mm-hmm. And then you'll hear a voice be like, we come to you with this breaking news bulletin. You know, so the the first national bank has been robbed. Keep an eye out for the suspect. It's not even that. It's just he turns it on and it's already in mid sentence. Yeah, <laughs> and he could leave it on. How would how would Pee Wee know? Like, I mean, he saw the handcuffs, but yeah, I don't know. I just think it's funny that he's like, no, I got to turn it. Like turning it off is actually more suspicious it, it, than yeah. than letting him hear it. Yeah. Yeah, and unless he's worried about like they're gonna like you know describe his appearance and what he's wearing and everything. Exactly. But yeah, there's, there's nothing suspicious about it until he you know hurriedly right. turns it off, um, and that's suspicious. Um, and then you know, so kind of Pee Wee picks up on that and says, "What do you do? What did you do?" Yeah. Um, and I have a question. This, so, well, yeah. you know, he says he lost his temper. He took a knife, and you know those little do not remove under penalty of law labels. They put on mattresses. Well, I cut them off. I cut one of them off. What do you think? Well, so at any point, you know, thinking back to when you were a young man <laughs> seeing this for the first time, did you think that's what he did? And if not, like, you know, then or now, like, what do you think he actually did? What's, what's I, what, what was he in for? I think he really did do that. And that's the joke. Mm-hmm. The joke in this universe is that somebody caught somebody caught someone cutting the tags off of mattresses mm-hmm. and therefore that's why he's in jail um personally is that- this is the this is the one joke in the movie yeah. that doesn't land because this was already a hacky bit back mm-hmm. in 1985 yeah because i remember comedians talking you know doing a hacky bit about those, you know, I'm going to do a Seinfeld voice, you know, <laughs> what, what is the deal with the, you know, but I remember in the early 80s, people talking about, ooh, I'm so scared. I'm not supposed to remove the tags from the mattresses, <laughs> you know, imagine being, you know, hanged for that or whatever. And yeah, it's, it's the one joke I wish I could go into the screenplay and kind of, <laughs> kind of make notes, you know, let's put something else here, but um and it, and it tries to set it up as a misdirection, you know, that right. he lost his temper and took a knife and, you know, killed his girlfriend or whatever. Yeah. I mean, I guess he like, I, you know, I, I now I think he, he cut somebody, you know, whether he killed him or not. And then you're thinking it's got to be, 
like the sentence was was serious enough that he's you know risking escape so uh you know he may have done you know some uh some bit of harm um which is and i think he he you know he eyes up peewee and kind of surmises like okay this this person is innocent you know this isn't innocent fair um, enough this is a naive yeah. person if i tell them what i did um you know I, I you know he seems like he feels the need to unburden himself he wants to confess but um, you know, if he if he says it like this person's going to jump out of the car without even waiting for me to stop. So, uh, you know, he kind of quickly makes him a story. That's what I think now. What I okay. first saw it and for probably 20 years after the first time I saw it, like I thought I thought that's what he did because of, you know, we're in this crazy world of peewee. Right. Where, you know, who who knows, you know, we were talking about like who knows where we are, who knows what year it is, who knows what's, you know, what's grown up and what's childish, what's, you know, what's the truth. So, yeah, for a long time, I believe like that's what he's that's what he was in for. Like he actually, cut you know, he cut off one of those do not remove under, under, under penalty of law, uh, you know, tags that they have on mattresses and pillows and stuff like. Um, but n- now I think that's just a story he made up for. For okay he's yeah. like sort of sparing the peewee from trauma by yeah. describing an actual you know homicide yeah. or something you know so. yeah he, you know he's probably thinking you know for whatever reason you know they're, they're looking for a man alone so if i have someone with me it'll be part of my cover or um you know he's thinking like he'll be able to use him as a hostage later for whatever reason he wants yeah, to that stay. is I've always wondered about his motivation for picking yeah. him up. But. That is weird. Like you're on the run. You think speed is is most important. Like take time to stop. Um, right. And, you know, and pick someone up. Like, why does he do it? Um, but yeah. So for, yeah, for the longest time, I, I, I believe that's what he, yeah, he, that's what he did. You know, he <laughs> I still did. But... <laughs> I, I, you know, I bought it. It was convincing. Yeah. So they're, they're rolling down the road. Now, at one point we get, uh, kind of in the background so they pass uh, you know they kind of or they they get passed by another truck that's got you know got the the x1 got peewee's bike yeah. in uh in the back and of course they're they're you know peewee's looking the wrong way right um and he doesn't see it uh, i think that's funny and so that there's a note um tim burton mentions in, in his commentary that um that's the only studio note that they got uh, I'm sorry, not not uh, not Tim. It was actually Paul that mentions like so. The only the only note from the studio, you know, any any changes they recommended that made it into the film was that one thing that uh, you know originally we weren't going to see the bike until the very end or until you know it shows up on TV uh, when, when PW's in in the hospital. And then the, it was a, kind of a studio note saying, "Hey, why don't you give us a little tease?" That's a good. That's a good like note. It. Yeah, and, yeah. And then it was a uh, and and it's sort of a life lesson, you know. Be, yeah. even uh if you're gonna get obsessed about recovering something don't blind yourself to it being right there you know yeah 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 well i think it also gives us a little bit of a it's a little bit of a tease in that so there he's heading in the right direction no so now obviously it's right. it's the wrong reason we we think you know madame ruby is uh is you know a, a scam artist and not a real psychic but you know, whatever direction he's heading, the bike is heading in the same direction. Now, then, then they they turn off. There's a a fork in the road, and the bike goes one way, or the truck with the bike goes one way, and then, um, you know, the Etzel that uh that PW is in goes another way. But like, so there's like, oh, the bike's right there. Like, you know, I, I can imagine in, um, uh, you know, in some communities, you may have people, you know, yelling at the the screen when they saw this to tell you know turn around, look <laughs> it's around, right there, he's right there, um. 
but yeah, I thought that was an interesting thing. And then and Tim Burton makes a note that like that got a response in, uh, in the, you know, the test screenings they did oh, um, cool. that yeah. little bit. So they were, they were happy for, for that change. And I thought that was a, a good thing. And now you could make a meme where it goes by and then you, you just sort of like, you know, pick the right image and basically make it look like Pee Wee sees it and goes, Hey, that's my bike. And then the next thing is the, uh, written and directed by George Lucas, you know, the ending, <laughs> like that's how the movie ends. <laughs> he found his bike. Yeah. There you go. It's uh, yeah. We'll make it a short then. Yeah. So they, 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 um, they drive around and then they come up into, uh, they face a roadblock, you know, the, yeah. they're talking about the law and suddenly there it the is law. the law, the law, um, you know, Mickey pulls out a gun. He's just going to shoot it out. But I no, know, that's, that's really bleak that he's like, well, this is it. And I, it. <laughs> I was actually shocked just because, you know, you, when you rewatch a segment for a podcast, you're really like dialed in. And I was like, wow, that's tonally pretty bleak for, for, <laughs> for this movie. Um, yeah. Yeah. It, it, it gets dark. Yeah. And just really quick, the, the the police cars here, like, again, looking old. This is... Um, so old. The uniforms. Yeah. 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 It's a it's a 75 Dodge Coronet, um, which I'm surprised. Like, I would not have placed that in the 70s. I guess 70s. I mean, my thought would have been 60s, you know, even older. But uh, yeah, these these the, the police cars here are, um, yeah, are, are, are mid-70s. So again, just kind of making everything feel a little bit older than... Uh, or uh, well, some of the things, you know, to feel older than, uh, you know, than the mid eighties when, when this was done. Um, but, uh, and there's, I like that this is really quick in terms of like, in, in terms of the film, there's no time. So they're pulling up, Mickey pulls out a gun. Pee Wee says, you know, wait, <laughs> I have an idea. And then we get, you know, we kind of get the dashboard view looking out, you know, we see the, um, not the dashboard, like the windshield view. We see right. the front of the car, we see the police um, as if no time has passed. They're driving up and then suddenly we see, uh, they're in disguise, which I guess, <laughs> I you know, I guess uh, Pee Wee had these in his uh, in his bindle. Of course, a... he probably picked this up the week before at Mario's. Yeah, he picked this up at yeah. Mario's. He's got although a, he's it got doesn't explain disguise. where he got the the cute green dress from, but you know, yeah, we don't know where the, it's magical realism. We don't have to think too much about where these things came from, but yeah. And uh, you know, we 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 might think that they're about to be busted when uh, the officer asks PW to step out of the car, um, <laughs> but it but it turns out he just wants to uh, he just wants to uh, you know a- admire the outfit. Right, I love um, it. It's so I funny. That was funny. It's so funny. Um, yeah, and and of course Pee Wee like models it. It actually says that in the screenplay that he he, he models the outfit for the yeah. Yeah, the, he gets know, out and he kind of, of yeah, he kind of you know they you know, then we get the line you know why don't you take a picture it'll last longer right yeah to uh, and so in, in the commentary this is like one of those things like how rumors get started or maybe I'm misinterpreting things so in in the commentary uh, Paul says this is his sister well kind of with a laugh no. and I think he's you know we think he's joking obviously this is Paul Rubin yes. you know in a dress you know kind of thing yeah. um, but then. In the IMDb trivia, it says this character is based on his sister. Sure. And I don't know if maybe, you know, maybe he talked about it in another place. You know, there's another interview where he says that. But like what what he, you know, when he mentions his sister in the commentary, 
I think it's obvious like he's just joking. He's you right. know, this is you know, Paul in a dress. This is not um, you know, Paula or Paulina or but maybe know, this is how <laughs> his sister dressed in nineteen sixty-five, yeah. you know. Yeah. Like he remembers this outfit. It may actually be the outfit that she wore. Yeah. Like he's like, Do you still have that, you know, that green thing that you wore? <laughs> <laughs> Send it to me. We're gonna put it in the movie, you know. Um, I didn't know that, but yeah, yeah, I'm but, picturing uh, it being like that, you know, happening like that. Yeah, but I thought that was, I thought that was, you know, kind of funny the way that got. Um, if that is, is that if that is indeed the source for that bit of IMDb trivia, kind of how it gets twisted. You know, he makes a joke, sure. um, you know, about this being his sister, and then someone goes into IMDb and enters it, saying, "Oh, the, you know, this character, you know, or when when PW dresses up, that's based on his sister." Um, right. So that may oh. or may not be true. Yes. Um, but you know, in any case, it works and they get past the uh you know, they get past the blockade. Um, and then we cut to uh, you know, it's nighttime and you know, Mickey is sleeping in the passenger seat and, and well, PW is driving, which can I uh, can I back up yeah. real oh, quick? Oh, yeah, please do. Sorry, I don't wanna one of my favorite moments. I'm I'm so glad I got this segment because one of my favorite moments in the whole movie is right before that. Mm-hmm. And it's where they're driving away. Mickey is ripping off his like fake goatee and mustache. <laughs> He's like, oh, that was close. Mm-hmm. And then he looks over Pee-wee. Pee-wee's just like completely settled into this new character of, I guess, based on his sister or whatever. And just like, you know, getting cozy basically in that and just sort of bopping along. And Mickey like looks at him like, what is your, the first reaction he does is a kind of like, <laughs> What is your deal? Why are you still wearing that outfit? And then he does a classic double take. And and the double take (laughs) lands and he does this look like, hey, he's kind of cute. And every time it gets me because there's it's completely nonverbal. It's it it and it doesn't, it has perfect timing. Yeah. Like yeah. that is a perfect comedic double take and then the linger on the linger. it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it's not like lascivious or something. It, it's not too vulgar or anything. <laughs> it, it's just more of a, hey, you're kind of cute. Yeah, <laughs> That's a, it. You know, another place in time, maybe. We, hey, we don't, we don't know how long, uh, how long Mickey's been locked up. So, uh, right. Yeah, that's, that's funny. Yeah. It kind of gives you the, it, Kind of, or gives me an idea of how important what happens on set, whether it's the director and the actor or the probably collaboration between the two. Um, so what they have in the script for that is the, the drive off the Etzel winds up up the mountain road. Mickey has taken off his disguise. As they drive along, Mickey contemplates Pee Wee, who is still in disguise. Contemplates. Yeah. And that's, and that's, and, that's, and then, yeah. you know, then the next thing is like cut to, uh, you know, Cut to it's you know, nighttime. yeah. You know, cut to you know, it's nighttime and and PW's driving and, and everything else. Like so, you know, all yeah, all it says is Mickey contemplates Pee Wee, who is still in disguise. <laughs> um, but yeah, there's your episode right. title right there. <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, the way he kind of looks up and down and and smiles, like uh, yeah. hmm. <laughs> you know, because yeah, I think it's the first look. The way I read it is so the first look is one of appreciation. Like you know, I you know I took this. Uh, I took this person to be a bit of a simpleton. 
Right. You know, when I first picked him up, I thought it was kind of, you know, a bit of a patsy, but uh, you know, Hey, it turned out he had a really good idea and, you know, he got us past the police and, you know, got us past the checkpoint. So like the right. first look is one of sort of like, you know, a newfound, it's a relief kind of a, yeah. yeah. So there's relief. And then like, a, you know, I guess like, you know, intellectual appreciation, like, you know, okay, right. there's, there's more to this, per, you know, more to this person than I originally gave him credit for. And then, um, <laughs> yeah. And then that looked like there's a different kind of appreciation. Yeah. Um, yeah. Maybe a more, uh, you know, more superficial of, uh, yeah. you know, you know, Peewee's appearance at that point, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, great, great, great performance there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Give it, give him the looks, but uh, yeah. So good, good point. Good pickup. But yeah, so then we cut to nighttime and, uh, you know, Mickey's dozing off and, you know, PW's driving and we get the um, we get the sequence of road signs. We get, you know, the first sign is is Curvy Road. Uh, I think it was it's like Curvy Road ahead and it just shows a bend. And then it's like, a, you know, a, a squiggly line. And then it's like completely like, you know, looped and twisted. Right. Um, and then finally falling rocks. And then uh, which, of course, um, as the road gets. Yeah, you know, as they fall, as the road right. gets rougher and rougher, eventually, yeah, PDV just, uh, you know, t- takes the car off the road and off the edge of a cliff, and they're just flying through the air to uh, to certain doom. And then he he wakes Mickey up, which is like, you know what, just let him sleep. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he does. He really, you know, he's just, you know, let him, you know, if if they're doomed, let him, uh, you know, <laughs> let him sleep through it. Does he really need to be up for this? But uh, they wake up, they scream, but. Uh, thinking at the last moment, uh, it occurs to, to Pee Wee to, uh, you know, open up the top of the convertible and it acts like a parachute and they drift gently down to the it's, ground. It, it's yet another instance of just borrowing from a, borrowing a trope from a 1950s cartoon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, th- this will work. That that yeah. the the convertible top will act as a parachute and just, gently set them down um yeah this is that, this is something is out of essence uh, yeah, of, of a cartoon yeah that is that is definitely one of the element essential elements of this movie is cartoon physics mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> yeah yeah and we're getting we're getting it more of uh more of that later on but yeah that's yeah cartoon physics i think is the um the word for it or it's like um, peewee thought yeah. in that moment oh i saw this in a in a cartoon i'll try it Oh, sure enough, it's working. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so um then we get uh we get a little callback here. So so Mickey has had enough of of Pee Wee. You know, it's it's all about what have you done for me lately? Sure, you uh, you know, sure you got us past the cops, but then you just almost killed us driving us off the road. Um and we get a, <laughs> I know this speech sounds awfully familiar. I like you, you know, <laughs> like you. Um that's why I can't drag you into this. I'm bad, Pee Wee. You don't want to get mixed up with a guy like me. I'm a loner. I'm a rebel. Yeah. Deja okay. vu. Deja vu. <laughs> I like the subversion of the idea in a conventional movie, which this is a very conventional movie. In the previous episode, you talked about how they they borrowed the Sid Field, how to write oh, a yeah. book, you know. Yes, yes. And followed it to a T. But in a, in a normal movie... Pee-wee would have heard him, Mickey, say that and then said that to Dottie in a later scene. Like, right. oh, I heard this cool guy and I want to be like the cool guy. Yeah. And so I'm yeah. going to, when I need to like kind of brush her off, 
I'm going to say this thing and it's going to be so cool. And instead, the subversion <laughs> of it is it, right? he said it originally. And now he's hearing the cool guy say it to him. And he's like, oh, <laughs> that's weird. I like that. That's 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 inventive uh, plot structuring or whatever. Um, yeah. Writing. yeah. Yeah. Good, good writing. Yeah, it turns out. And then, and, but this is, um, we kind of believe it. So going back to, you know, when, when Pee Wee gives the speech to Dottie, um, and he's very serious, you know, he's very straight delivering it. But then as he's walking out of the bike, bike shop, you know, we can, we see him smiling. We hear the laugh. We know that. Skip you know? in the step. Yeah. yeah he, he's skipping out. You know, he, he's laughing at himself like, oh my God, I was so serious there for a moment. Um, whereas here, like, yeah, we get the feel like this is a real bad guy. This is, yeah. you know, he's he's not going to be laughing as he drives away. Or maybe he is. I don't know. We don't know. Um, because the car peels off and he uh, yeah, just leaves Pee Wee there in the middle of nowhere. We just see the uh, the two red taillights um, disappearing off into the distance. When you have a limited budget, shoot in the dark. You know, yeah. <laughs> in complete darkness. Yeah. And then the viewer yeah. will fill in any scenery that's necessary. Right. I mean, it could they could be in a parking lot for all we know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and actually, I they might have been. And I don't know if if <laughs> you can pick this up. And and when I mention it, go back and, and watch it again. If you didn't notice it before, you're you're going to notice it next time. Um, so those the signs I mentioned, the like you know the the curve ahead and falling rocks and everything. If you look real close, you can see the string that the yep. signs are being pulled on. Um. So yep. the car, it's it, so as they're shooting this, the car slash camera is stationary. Instead of like the, you know, instead of the signs being stationary along the road and the car moving, You're the car is the sitting signs. still yeah. and the, they're pulling the signs past on rope. And if you look, you know, as, as when the signs get close, it kind of gets into the headlights of the car. You can kind of see the ropes down near the base that's, you know, pulling the sign past the camera. <laughs> I think whether it was intentional or not, I'm sure Tim Burton saw that in, you know, yeah. the, the dailies or whatever <laughs> and said, well, he probably said, I meant to do that. I meant, um, to, I meant to do that. Yeah. But it also, it, it invokes that B movie Ed Wood imagery. And it's like, yeah, leave it in. This is, this is yeah. all part of this yeah. subconscious world of universe of Pee Wee Herman that, yeah. you know, and we, we, there's so many moments uh, in, uh, Wee's playhouse where you know they're not attempting to hide the fishing line or anything yeah and that's the charm you know and yeah it's the charm it kind of kind of plays into it um yeah and so that brings us to the the end of uh this section of film um i do have one more uh one more question that i've been asking all my guests that i that mm -hmm. i want to would like to ask at this time um so this is this is not a holiday film, as we've covered for our past holiday specials. It doesn't involve Christmas or Hanukkah or, or any specific holiday. But uh, I kind of I think it fits the mold of a holiday film in terms of, um, you know, great rewatchability, lots of fun, suitable for the whole family. Um, so I'm kind of calling this like sort of a non-traditional uh, holiday tradition kind of thing. So uh, so I was wondering, Chris, as my guest, you know, do you have any um you know, non non traditional traditions, things that <laughs> that you know, they're a tradition for you or your family that you do every year, you know, around the holidays. But it's you know, it's not like a Christmas tree that you know that you know the, the holidays in the name, you know, that, right. that makes it a tradition. Courier and, and Ives imagery yeah. or Norman um, Rockwell style. Do you have uh, you know? Do you have any kind of sort of non traditional traditions? We we do a similar thing, my wife and I, where 
will try to take advantage of the fact that no one is on the roads or out at all on Christmas Eve. Mm -hmm. And we'll like, we'll make a point of going to, uh, we've moved around a little bit in the last few years, but we'll go to, you know, wherever there's the town has set up or the city has set up a, a Christmas light, you know, public display in one of the parks Mm-hmm. and we'll just go and walk and it's amazing you do that on christmas eve at like 8 p.m there's no one there yeah and it's real quiet and it, and it's it's just a nice um gentle walk where it just uh gets you away from the or or at least settles you from all the the hectic stuff that was that came before yeah you know i feel like the worst thing you can do is go to like if you go to like a uh you know, one of those like festival of Christmas lights at the zoo thing, you know, the first week of December, well, everyone's going to, everyone's going to be packed and crazy. Right. But on actual Christmas Eve, people got stuff to do. They got (laughs) to be with their, their, their families. And that's where my wife and I just sneak out and go for a nice walk. And another thing that we, so movie wise, um, one of the things that we stumbled into, there's absolutely no rhyme or reason to this, but, it's become a de facto tradition. We will watch on New Year's Eve. We're boring. We do not go out. Um, we stay in and we watch Raising Arizona. I don't nice. know why. It's other than we like that movie. Yeah. A lot. But And we've even talked about doing a Movies by Minute podcast about <laughs> Raising Arizona. Sure. Um, well, there's a, yeah, there's a lot of stuff. You know, there's a lot of detail. A lot of stuff yeah. you could talk about. Yeah. Yeah. But um, that is something we end up watching every almost every New Year's Eve. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's that's similar to this in terms of, um, you know, it's it's not, you know, it, it's, you know, it's not like, a, you know, a, a Christmas carol or Die Hard. It's not centered no. around a holiday, but it's something it's, I can, you know, it's, there's a lot of detail so it's got rewatchability i don't think that's something you're going to get you know that's not a film you're going to get bored with anytime soon um but it's yeah it's i could see you know having that kind of comfort to you could just yeah this is what we're doing um you know christmas eve we're watching raisin arizona right and it's got a lot of lines of dialogue that we already say to each other you know anyways (laughs) just to to make each other laugh so That's yeah. good. Yeah. And when you're the, the other thing, the first thing you're talking about in terms of, yeah, if you you go out Christmas Eve and, um, mm-hmm. you know, if you, if you, you know, if, yeah, if your town has a big display or is a tree up and you go and it's, you know, it's deserted and you'll have, you know, kind of the scene to yourself. Um, you're going back to, to me talking about, you know, kind of, I try to get away from the family if I'm visiting and get some alone time. Um, so um, oftentimes I, I, you know, I kind of pair that with like reading a book. I, I'd grab a book, particularly if I got a, you know, if I, if I got a new book as a gift on Christmas, you know, it's at some point, um, you know, that afternoon or, or maybe the next day I'd sneak off and just spend a couple hours reading on my own. But, uh, we got, um, we got a puppy a few years ago oh, great. and that, and that's always nice because if you ever want to get away, you say, I, I got to walk the dog. The dog gotta, needs to go he's out. He's got to go out. It's not yeah, me the, saying this. He's got to go yeah, out. Yeah. It's not yeah. me. I'd love to spend I nothing more, <laughs> love nothing more than just to spend all my time with, uh, you know, with with my family and my in-laws, but you know, the, the dog's got to go nature calls. But uh, yeah, if you go out like um, at kind of anytime, like like between like 10 a.m. or kind of anytime Christmas day, you know, 10 a.m., noon, you know, two o'clock in the afternoon, just go out um, walking around the neighborhood and, you know, 
not only no one else walking around, maybe you run it, you know, maybe I'll run into one other person who's doing the same thing, walking their dog, but um, you know, like no cars on the street. Oh, I know. No one walking around. The parks are empty. There's no cars. It's just, um, you know, it's almost something like out of a zombie movie when they show someone's walking around. There's just, you know, it's, you know, a a strangely populated area, but there's no people around. Yeah. Um, Yeah. yeah. So yeah, if you go out and you walk your dog at like noon on Christmas day, um, yeah, it's going to be very, very quiet. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And so if you just want to, if you just want the quiet, you want to get away from, yeah, there's, you know, family with kids and lights and noise. And then, uh, you know, someone, you know, little Timmy got a, you know, a drum set for Christmas that he's banging away on. You're like, you know what, let me just, I, I got to walk out of here. Yeah. 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 Uh, hey, so I promised a fun fact uh, about my appearance on this show. Yeah. Yeah. And that I think that was in the green room. So this is the first time you're hearing about it, <laughs> listener. Um, I am the second consecutive guest that you've had on who has ridden a bike on Mackinac Island in (laughs) Lake Superior, Huron. I forget which one, but I have also done that. You were talking to um, uh, Tabitha. The Carlisles. The Carlisles. And she she talked about riding a a bike on Mackinac Island, which is this carless. We were talking about the fact that there are no cars driving around. It's a carless environment and uh, we went there on vacation last year and there the joy that peewee has when he's riding his bike around in the first Mm -hmm. few minutes of the movie my wife said i had that look on my face to to because we just got these rental bikes and they're very like beach cruiser kind of bikes you know they're not athletic or or you know serious bikes but knowing that there's not you're in no danger at all from being hit by another car it is the it is so fun and yeah so i have what are the odds right what what are the (laughs) odds indeed so that's yeah so maybe that's something i'll put on my uh put on my list of places to visit and and ride a tandem bike on yeah yeah we were just in we weren't on a tandem bike because we don't get along enough to do that but uh (laughs) yeah yeah Oh, but that's, yeah, that's nice. That's funny. That's a nice little coincidence, nice little tie into, uh, yeah, our our, uh, our previous episode there. Awesome, awesome. Um, well, so that kind of, I mean, I that kind of brings out what I've got to say about this, this portion. Anything else you wanted to say about, you know, about the big adventure, about Pee Wee or Paul Rubens or um, about bike riding, anything else? <laughs> I am an avid bike rider. Um, please, you know support uh bike infrastructure um development that's not a joke that's for real um, yeah no no yeah in, in your town you you will you will love it but uh no i just you know when i was watching this last night again for i don't know the 105th time i realized and it, it's captured in the first few minutes of this movie ultimately this movie is about joy and wonder in in a world that Actually, in the, the the world that he travels in, in this is pretty forgiving about the joy and wonder, but the real world that we know is not. And I think that that also is a big reason why I was I was kind of upset when when Paul Rubens died. Um, but that's such a that's such a neat feeling, and maybe that's why it makes it such a great holiday movie. Is that you know that this is the season we're supposed to experience that right that right yeah this wonder. is just supposed to be yeah the season of wonder and yeah and, and how um, often do we yeah. really feel that and i feel it 
vicariously through him. The only other movie I can think of that is similar, and it's really just a portion of the movie, the opening credits to the first Austin Powers movie, when Mm. he is walking around this and it's of course a back lot you know yeah it's it's a curated reality as i was talking about before of swinging 60s london and he's just walking around and going yeah yeah and just sort of pointing at people you know having fun and just going yeah yeah and i thought oh it that's peewee you know that's the same basic emotion that that peewee has in the first 20 minutes of you know, until he loses his bike. Um, it's just seeing other people and, and going, yeah, I'm, I'm good with what you're enjoying. And these other, you know, and everyone's on the same wavelength. Everyone's happy. You know, everyone's doing what makes them happy. Um, it's just neat. We don't get to experience. I, I don't get to experience that very often. So. Yeah. I can kind of see that. Yeah. See the parallels of like, yeah, that, that, yeah that beginning of that that world of austin powers is kind of yeah. like when yeah when, when you know peewee's in his house in his bedroom and um yeah when he's in his world all right nice 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 i like it i like it um all right so i think that uh you know kind of brings us in we'll, we'll wrap it up for uh yep. for this episode of uh next scene's big adventure but uh chris this has been uh this has been an absolute joy it's been wonderful um i've enjoyed it i know uh I know my listeners have, I, I think, uh, think, uh, I don't think I'll get too many uh, challenges on that, but, uh, <laughs> so if, if folks want to hear more from you, if they haven't, you oh, know, geez. if they're not familiar with your, your, your fast <laughs> over of, uh, of podcasting, where can, uh, you know, where can our listeners hear more? Well, you can settle in with the apocalypse now minutes for a movie <laughs> that is totally the exact opposite. Of it's Peewee's a little bit different. Yeah. Although there is a connection, um, I guess Lawrence Fishburne was, yeah. uh, as Larry Fishburne was in Apocalypse Now, and uh, he was Cowboy Curtis on Pee-wee's Playhouse. Um, oh, so we did a movies by minute about that, and it's called the Apocalypse Now Minutes. We also, oh, and I say we, uh, that's me and um, Tierney Steele Callahan, we who you might recognize from from some other movies by minute podcasts, and Tierney and I also did a movies by minute podcast about close encounters of the third kind Mm -hmm. and that podcast is called this means something dot 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 and the first movies by minute podcast i did with my friend rudy it was about 2001 a space odyssey and that one i'm sure we mentioned peewee during that though um (laughs) i don't i don't know how you would cover that and not (laughs) i'm sure it came up uh and uh and I think at one point, Rudy must have said, I say we let him go. Um, <laughs> but that one's called Open the Podcast Doors Hell. All of these exist on Spotify. I think the Close Encounters one and the 2001 only exist on Spotify. Mm-hmm. And the Apocalypse Now Minutes exists on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all Google Play, all that. If that even exists, I haven't been keeping up. I know there's been some shakeups in the podcasting world. So yeah, I yeah, Google is yeah, changed. If you yeah, if you put your yeah. podcast up on like Google Play or Google Music or whatever it was years ago, it's not there anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, but Spotify, and I'm not trying to plug Spotify, but they, I know all three of those still exist there. Yeah, 
Um, and yeah, and I listened to all three of those and all three of those are great podcasts. So I absolutely Thank encourage you. people to, uh, yeah, go back and, and, and check that out. And yeah, that's where you can go. If you want to hear more of, uh, more of Chris's insightful commentary <laughs> on, uh, on films. I don't know why you're laughing. That's not a joke. <laughs> <laughs> Some people call it rambling. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, rambling commentary, whatever, but yeah, so go back. I, I would encourage people to, to, to check that out. Um, and kind of check us out. So we're we're coming up. We're we're barely halfway through. This is part four of our non, nine part coverage. So please, uh, well, yeah, we're um, uh, you know, let us know your your memories of of bike riding, uh, you know, on Mackinac Island, uh, tandem or <laughs> otherwise. Um, you can reach us. We're on uh, we're at Nexine Pod on Instagram and Threads and Mastodon and Blue Sky. Uh, nextscenepod.com is the the website and of course you can always uh reach us at the the facebook group our jelly of the month club and then uh when you're done uh, posting and reading all the the good stuff at those places come on right back and meet us next time for the next scene